0: My name's Randy. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Happy Sunday to you. It's almost Memorial Day. Next weekend, right? Yep. 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 No, it's not on. It's not in September this year. It's the they changed it to my birthday again. That's so cool. I like them celebrating on my birthday. Okay. Word word game. If I were to say the following business names and words, what comes to mind? Lehman Brothers, Merrill Lynch, AIG, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Washington Mutual, Wachovia, Morgan Stanley, General Motors, Chrysler Corp., Wall Street, Federal Reserve, and Bailout. Isn't it amazing? I mean, it was quite a um, newsworthy fall we experienced in our world, and on and on could go the names in other countries that we wouldn't recognize. While none of us in this room probably have personal memory of the stock market crash on October 29, 1929, that led to the Great Depression, most of us will probably, at least for a while, remember the financial crisis of September 2008. While most of us so far have uh, that I can tell from talking with you have been less affected than we uh, thought perhaps we might have, and I don't think we're, as they say, out of the wood yet. So a question for us that we, I think, need to consider is as Christians, as followers of Christ, as God's chosen people, the light of the world, Jesus calls us, what should and what could be our response and our example in such financially volatile times? Over the last few weeks, we have been discussing what the Bible has to say about God's ways as they relate to money and finance. We began by... Seeing that God's desire, that His plan for His people, His followers, is blessing, provision, and as Jesus described, it's superabundant life. But that plan we have acknowledged is contingent, and it's contingent upon our choices. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 18, I've read it on numerous of the weeks, but it's a, I believe, a foundational piece. Moses is speaking to the people and he says, listen up, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster, for I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life, superabundant, in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Choosing to love God, to walk in his ways, the Bible promises will bring us blessing, provision, and life. Turning our hearts away from God, to the love of other things, to the pursuit of other things, will result in destruction, lack, and death. We also saw that God's plan for his people is not only that we would have provision and blessing, but that it's his intention that we would have an abundance for the purpose of being able to help others. 2 Corinthians uh, 9.8, the Apostle Paul says, God is able to make all grace come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances, and whatever the need, be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support, and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. I mentioned at the time we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, that this promise, like Deuteronomy, is also conditional. Paul says God is able. He doesn't say God will. It's conditional, again, upon our living our lives according to and walking according to his ways. It's conditional upon making him first in our lives. God is able to make all grace come to you in abundance so that you may always, under all circumstances, whatever the need, whatever the economic situation, be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. I'd like to live my life that way. I'd like to see you live your life that way. When we consider our role in this world as Christians, as followers of Christ, as those who have the truth, that's what God longs for us to have and be, so that we would in fact be the light in the darkened world. The challenge is, the sadness is, is that many of us have been caught up in the world systems and are hindered from being that light, from having that level and kind of superabundance to be those who bring supply and support, rather than those who continue to need it. Last week, I introduced the topic of the two competing economic systems. I suggested that the Bible teaches that there are two separate and independent realms or kingdoms that exist as competing realms. And they're described in the Bible as the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. As a part of these kingdoms or realms, as there is in any kingdom or realm, there are, exist as well two totally separate and independent economic systems that compete for the hearts and minds of humankind. The world's economic system operates under the power and ways of Satan and operates on the basis of buying and selling. In the world's economy, there is always an exchange. There's an exchange of money for goods and services between one person and another. It's an exchange between two people. And somebody always gets something in the exchange. Goods and services or we get the money. There's an exchange. You provide service, you receive money. You pay with money, you receive goods or services. The contrasting economic system operates under the power and ways of God and operates not on buying and selling, not on exchange, but on the basis of receiving and giving. In God's economy, there is not an exchange. Instead, there is the giving from one to another, to another, and to another. It's very different. As God's children, we receive His provision. We receive His blessing. And as a result of God's giving to us, our receiving from Him, we have the means then to do the same to another. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as God has loved us. God gives, we receive, we give, they receive. It is not an exchange. We're not buying and selling. That person's not doing anything. We're not doing anything to receive a benefit That Right? Are you catching this? I'm going to go further into this. We introduced it last week. I'm going further with it today. When we use money that is intended for buying and selling, and we give it to God, or we give it to another person, we violate or defile the spirit of mammon and the world's economic system. The spirit of mammon, we've said, wants to influence and control us, making us think that it is our source and to turn our hearts to worshiping something other than God. By giving money to God or others, we demonstrate that mammon is not our source and that we are not being a we are that we are being a master over money rather than it being a master over us. We are making money serve us and God's kingdom purposes rather than serving it. So I shared the story last week how I was had this piece of equipment that I was going to sell on eBay. And I was working out the details of the cost and the value and what I was going to charge my friend and this and that. And so I was going to you know, let them, send them this email about this. And all of a sudden I'm kind of looking around and feeling like somebody's in the room with me. Wait a minute. That's buying and selling. Wait a minute. I have an opportunity to violate the spirit of mammon here. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give this thing to that person. And that, then I then entered, I took that thing, and I now introduced it to the benefit of God's and the advancement of God's kingdom, of God's power, of God's ways of love and care and kindness. I want to look at a passage that touches on this. Turn there if you would like. Have it on the screen for those of you who don't have your Bible Matthew chapter ten verses five through ten uh, each week as I am preparing these materials the uh, God is just uh, bringing new levels of understanding revelation to me and this passage that I've read dozens and dozens and dozens of times probably taught on it dozens and dozens and dozens of times. There was a there was another layer, another level of of understanding here, particularly in this concept of these economies, of this uh, principle of giving and receiving, in contrast to buying and selling. Jesus is uh, about to send out the disciples on their first missionary journey, He's speaking to the twelve just uh, before in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has looked out on Jerusalem, he's seen it as needy, he says, uh, guys, would you pray with me that that God would send forth workers, and then he taps them on the shoulder and says, hey, guys, I'm sending you out as workers, and he gives them these instructions, and I'm not going to interact with all the material that's in this, this could be a sermon in and of itself, has been in the past, there's elements of it I'm not going to touch on, but I believe there's. Uh, Some things for us to learn here relative to this concept we're talking about of the distinction between buying and selling and receiving and giving. Jesus tells them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the realm of God, the economy of God has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Notice, as you probably did, Jesus' words, you receive without payment, give without payment. God's economy is receive and give. The disciples had received, and now there's an opportunity for them to give, not an exchange. So they're being sent out, not under the world's economy, but under God's economy. And then Jesus gives instructions for them not to pack for the trip, and not to take any money. They're to operate in God's economy, not the world's. But what are they going to do for food and shelter? Jesus says in verse 10, laborers deserve their food. But laborers for who? The people that they're teaching and serving and healing? Are they laborers for them? No. They're not to exchange their services for compensation for preaching and ministry. They are God's laborers. God will give to them and they will receive from him rather than payment for services. I've mentioned before, and we will look at in depth in a few weeks, a crucial element of God's economic system is who is your source. God's economy says that God is your source, not your employer. Nor is it your own ability to earn wages. Now, the disciples had all been working men prior to following Jesus. Some of them had even had very successful businesses. Think of Matthew. A part of their discipleship training under Jesus was for them to learn to view God as their source rather than their employers or their own hands and businesses. Right? Jesus says, come follow me. And we just kind of make the leap that they're all happy and content with God's economy. But it's interesting, after Jesus' death on the the resurrection on death on the cross and uh, in that week following after his resurrection where did he find the guys back at work and what did he do on the beach he gave them food he provided for them topic's huge so this sending out gave an opportunity for Jesus to begin to train them on this concept of God being the source. Now they, they you know, didn't quite get it, you know, but we're, we're working on it. When Jesus told them to go and minister without money or suitcases, I suspect that they were shocked. That that wasn't. Oh yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. No, I think they said, "What? You got to be kidding." I like food. Peter, I suspect, liked food. I don't know why I think that. And and where are we going to stay? I mean, without money, we can't go to the Hilton in Jerusalem. I mean, come on. In La Quinta, in Samaria. Oh, wait, they weren't supposed to go there. So, in verse 11, Jesus, Jesus explains to them how God's economy works. He's, he's going to give them a lesson in kingdom economics. And he says this. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it, meaning greet the people. Bless, welcome. Hi, house. (laughs) Good looking house. Wow, that's really nice. No, that's not what he's talking about. Okay. As you enter the household... As greet the household. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. So Jesus is saying that to the disciples that go, and along the way, you're going to meet people who, as a result of having received from God, they're going to be hospitable and give to you. They're going to give to you food, shelter, and probably clothing and sandals if they needed it. And the likelihood of, on a short trip, Those things wearing out probably wasn't significant. But again, Jesus is training. He's equipping. He's giving them ideas of how this is going to work. People were going to give those things, though, not as payment for the ministry and teaching that the disciples had given, but they were going to give because God was their source and that they had received from God. So, I would advocate that there is not an exchange between the disciples, their ministry, and those extending hospitality to them. But instead, as they have received, the disciples have received freely from God and Jesus, they are responsible to give to others freely teaching and ministry. But also then they have the opportunity to give blessing to the family for whom they have received these gifts. Not as an exchange to pay them. Thank you for your hospitality and kindness. Now I bless you in Jesus' name. But out of God's provision, out of the source of God and the resources of God, they extend and give a gift of blessing. Because they have received from God. All right. I'm going to let you guys work on this a little bit. And think about it. So we're going to get into, uh, we're going to do a group exercise. We're going to get into clusters of three and four. So if you don't like who you're sitting next to, move. Just kidding. And um, I want you to look at a passage Matthew chapter 5, verses 40 through 42. I don't have it on the screen, so you're going to need to get a Bible. As you look at these verses, I want you to consider them as I did with that previous passage in light of these two economic systems. Again, we're talking about the world system, which has to do with buying and selling, and God's economic system which has to do with receiving and giving. So I want you to just just think about that. Read the text and go what is, what is this telling us about these two economic systems? And then secondly, what is, it that, what is it that Jesus wants us to understand about God's economy? Again, he was teaching a lesson to the disciples in Matthew 10. And he is teaching a lesson here, I would advocate, on God's economic system. So what is it that he's trying to teach us? Go. Just work on your own. Matthew five, I think it's up there, five forty through forty two. All right. How about a couple of uh how about a, a person from a group to share some of what you think? Jesus may be wanting us to understand about God's economy. Any spokespeople who are willing to risk? We got one way in the back, all right? Why don't you come down a little bit so people can see you instead of this voice coming, this is God, this is Matt.
1: Um, I was reading the passage and it was talking about how uh, if somebody wants to take something from you, should go that extra step. I was thinking I was talking about you should operate in God's economy even within the Lord's economy. Even if these other people don't understand it, you should still show how it works. That's what I got out of it. I thought about it. you know, say they, someone who needs help with their children, like their mother's sister, And you need to the mother needs to go and take care of their parents or whatever. And they ask you like, to children or anything or whatever. You can Do do something like, in this case, like the Roman soldiers would force you to go a mile or someone's suing you they're trying to take and they're trying to exert power over you? with the world system is going to say, hey, and all take 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 and get get get, and when we respond from God's economy and willingly give that, we're not placing ourselves under the bondage under the bondage of that get get get, and we're showing them there is something that supersedes that, and it's love and it's giving, and, that. and I think that kind of makes.
0: spirit of mammon would cause that retaliation. However, when we do that, the person can be impacted, can be in awe of the kingdom of God that's, wow, you're doing this, and you know, I'm trying to do that, I'm trying, you're, I'm trying to sue you, and instead you, whatever. So, that's a good point. I mean, there is that retaliation, no question about it, but it might be convicting. It might be a part of evangelism. Sorry.
1: I was just going to say that this is really uncomfortable and to live <laughs> in this realm. So it makes me realize that I am towing two kingdoms. Because hmm. if I wasn't uncomfortable with, well, what are the exceptions to the rules? You know, That's one of the comments that was said here. And I'm like, I'm there too. And so I realized, wow, I am towing both kingdoms, and you've already told us we can't. So I'm I'm feeling uncomfortable, really uncomfortable. So that's a good sign. Before I would have felt
0: justified. Yeah. Um, there's no question that we have been primarily trained in the world's economics. Even in the church, even the church's teaching on finances, probably, even mine, the church's, even my teaching on finances has probably been more coded with world economic systems than God's. And I'm trying to learn along with you. I think I mentioned this to somebody individually. Um, Typically, we would hope that whoever's teaching us has it all worked out, that they're the expert. I don't operate that way. Um, I'm on a journey, and we're going together. So I'm way open to you guys going, I don't know about that one. And it's also why I'm giving you an opportunity to work on it, and would encourage you to do that in your devotional and readings that you would begin to see. But the Bible talks about money and economics a lot. And when it does, See if you can step outside of everything you've already previously known, as my business consultant son-in-law's side the box, and learn about these things. All right. Um, Last week, we began looking at the differences in the Bible between wealth, riches, and money. And I said that wealth in the Bible is always something tangible. Itself has worth and value. In the Bible we find that wealth, sometimes called riches, of those who are described as wealthy people is in the form of land, houses, crops, cattle, flocks, gold, silver, jewelry, not as in gold and silver coin, but literally gold, silver, and jewelry, timber, oil, and people in the form of uh, maid and men servants, which we said today might parallel being a a business owner uh, with employees. Wealth is created and governed by God and is a part of his kingdom and economic systems. Now, it's also used and is a part of the world's economic systems. But God owns all wealth. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't own all the money in the uh, Fort Knox. He didn't own the coin of Caesar. So wealth is created, governed by God. It's a part of his kingdom and economic system. When he speaks of blessing, he means this is a part of it. Wealth, land, houses, crops. And we looked at a passage a couple weeks ago about that. Money, on the other hand, is created by humankind. It's governed by the spirit of mammon. It's a part of the world's economic system and the kingdom of Satan. Money, in contrast to wealth, while made of paper and metal, has no real substance or intrinsic value. It is simply a medium of exchange for which one may buy and sell goods and services. Money, as we've suggested, is always imprinted with the image of an important man or woman. And Jesus said that the image of Caesar imprinted on that money shows that it belongs to the world's economic systems and not to God. As such, neither we nor God are owners of it, but merely managers or stewards of what is another's. And we've always thought the other was God. But what I'm grasping is that the other is the world system and Satan. When we manage money, we're managing that which is owned by the world's economic systems, not by God. Just a thought. You may not like that one. As a manager, God wants us, though, to be masters of money, not money or mammon being our master. i said that numerous times. Now, this morning I want to talk about what the Bible has to say about riches in contrast to wealth and money, as well as treasure. Before we go there, let's pray. Papa, it is uncomfortable to be on a journey where we're really not sure of the way. We have an idea of a destination out there, of uh, some understandings of uh, the way to journey. But as we attempt to wrestle with your word, to wrestle with um, this conflict between these two economic systems, we're, we're at some level out in the water without anything to stand on. But you've taught us how to swim, taught us how to float. Every once in a while maybe a boat will come by and help us out for a little while. So I welcome you to be with us as we consider these topics over these weeks. I really believe that we have not adequately understood your ways according to these principles. And that if we could, it would make a whole lot more sense out of much of what you say about it. So I welcome you to help us here. Help us to uh, to be teachable hearts, to be willing to listen, to hear, to see. And that we could become the kind of people, Lord, who are, who are those second Corinthians, uh, nine people, eight people, who have the superabundance and able to care for others, so that literally we would have the freedom to give to anybody who asks and money to allow anyone who wants to borrow without interest. for the advancement of your kingdom, and for people to actually see what love really is. So help us as we consider these things in Jesus' name. I've mentioned that uh, people often think about wealth, riches, and money as interchangeable terms Uh, for the same thing. We often speak of a person who is wealthy or rich we predominantly mean they have a lot of money. But when we look at the Bible and these words, as I did quite a bit of work on last week with us, we find that they are descriptive of different things and they're, they're governed by different things. We've talked about wealth and money and I want to talk about riches and treasure. In the Hebrew language, as in English, there are two different words, riches and wealth. And they really do mean two different things. I even went to Dictionary.com. Even Dictionary.com was clear in a distinction between riches and wealth. Psalms 52.7 speaks of these two different Hebrew words. See the one who would not take refuge in God, but trusted in abundant riches and sought refuge in wealth. There's a context for it. I'm not going to go into it. Uh, I'm just identifying that here in that passage there is this description of people who, instead of trusting in God, who go to God as their refuge, have trusted in abundant riches and sought refuge in wealth. Wealth, we've said, has to do with land, houses, crops, cattle, flocks, gold, substantial material resources. Now, here's where I'm going to suggest riches has where riches goes. Which riches, riches, of course, is very, very connected to wealth and money, but not the same. And I would give you this as a definition. Riches are wealth and money that are working for you. It's a surplus of resources, of houses, lands, cattle, and money coin, bullion. That is is a surplus that is working for you. When someone has wealth or money in excess of their obligations and necessities, they are in a position to invest their resources and have it work for them, earning them more money and more wealth. Riches are not wealth and money that you have worked for. We work for... Wealth and money, but we don't work for riches. Instead, wealth and money that work for you are riches. We would call them investments. A few years ago, a good friend of mine was uh, released from a very, very well-paying position with a company that he worked for ever since he got out of college, 25, 30 years. You can imagine that large of a salary. That long with the company the benefits, the car, yada <laughs> yada, that was present for him, um, left him in what would seem like a precarious position, but it did not because he had been resourceful with his surplus through the years, not spending it all, but instead beginning to invest it, and rather than going out to find uh, immediately. Find, wanting to find or needing to find a well-paying job he decided rather to begin to take the wealth and investments he had accrued up to that point and begin to work that wealth which for him was in the form of houses he had quite a few rental homes and through the years here and there of course you would sell uh, a rental home or that well he he kind of moved out of the rental market and more uh, uh, more involved himself in the buying and selling of homes. Flipping, Kathy. And um, so he began to work his wealth, his riches. And then he had investments as well in stock market, and mutual funds, and who knows what. I mean, we didn't talk intimately about those things, but he had those. And he took management of those things himself and began to work those. And essentially hasn't worked since he was released from that job. At least not as we would think of working for. Instead, he is he is working his riches and they are working for him and providing him more money and wealth. When we have riches, wealth and money working for us, A challenge we can experience is that the mammon spirit is going to try and influence us to trust in those investments, especially for our future needs. That's what Psalm 52 was talking about, 52.7 was talking about. He who doesn't trust in God but trusts in these things. The Apostle Paul also spoke of this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.17. He says to Timothy, as for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Economy, economic systems there. Now, Again, the question here that is underlying this is who is our source and what is first in our lives? Those questions have to be addressed. They are foundational to be able to deal with some of these other elements. If God is not our source and is not first in our lives, then we are an idolater, trusting in something other than God. And so there is a temptation for those who have riches, surplus, working for them, to trust in those things. And if something happens to those things, they can be devastated. I have learned that the issues of that many people who have invested uh, over these last months, people have been devastated. As we're well aware. That was their earnings. It was their retirement. It was what they were going to live on the rest of their lives. And it's gone. A very challenging thing. Who is our source? In Mark 4, Jesus describes riches as being deceitful. Jesus speaks of God's word being sown as seed in the lives of people. He describes people's lives compared to four different kinds of soils. And one of the dis- the soils that is described is one that has thorn plants, weeds with thistles. Mark 4, 18 and 19 says, The thorny ground represents those who have heard the word, but the worries cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enters in and chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. So there is a significant challenge to having riches, wealth, and money that are working for us. But it is not wrong. In fact, the parables of the talents in Matthew 25 and the minas in Luke 19 suggest that taking money that has been entrusted to us and making it work for us through multiplication, in other words, to turn it into riches, is expected of us. Now, there are definitely spiritual implications to those passages, no doubt. But they are also, I believe, speaking to the way God's economy would work. And we're going to look at one of those in a moment. Jesus, in those passages, commended those servants who multiplied the money, because that's what it was. Talents and minas are not wealth, they're money. They were part of the money system. And Jesus commends those servants in the story, the, person, the master commends those servants who multiplied the money entrusted to them by having it work for them, but it was returned to the master. The riches and the multiplication belong to the master. The servants were managers of the master's resources. Lesson in our source and, and spiritual and, and kingdom economy. They were, however, well rewarded for their fruitfulness. God's desire is for there to be overflow of wealth, riches, and money in our lives. That He is the master of, the owner of, and that we are His stewards. That's a part of what Second Corinthians nine, eight that we read earlier speaks about. Riches are wealth and money that work for us in producing more wealth and money that then are available to God for caring for others and expanding God's kingdom. What about treasure? There's another kind of financial resource described in the Bible as treasure. Earlier we read from 1 Timothy 6.17, the Apostle Paul said, As for those who are in the present age rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather God who richly provides us with everything for enjoyment. God is our source. Paul goes on, though, in verses 18 and 19 to say this. Tell them to use, make their money work, to do good. Tell them to use their money, their riches, to do good. They should be rich, investing, in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Paul clearly says that riches are not to be accumulated for selfish purposes, but rather. They're for the purpose to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous to those in need. And let me tell you, God's generosity is huge. I remember um, a while back, you know, our community group, we wrestle with this all the time. You know, the people out on the street, how do you deal with that? It comes up about every other week, I think, in our community group. We're not settled on it, but one day I left here, was going out, um, was going by the the freeway over here, and there was a, a lady who was selling the Sunday newspapers. And um, I thought she, she's working, she's trying. You could tell she is was not, you know, financially really stable. You, you know, by what she's wearing. So I rolled down my window. Can I have a newspaper? Yes. And I handed her a twenty-dollar bill, and I said, "Keep the change." And and tears practically—I mean, this emotional rush in her face—it's And it's like that's that's more than I've earned all day. And that was so easy. That was that felt so good. Generosity is huge. You know, have you have any of you? Well, no, don't answer this question. It is fun to leave a huge tip sometimes. Um, Christians are often Clara, having been a waitress, can tell you that Christians are some of the worst tippers. They're miserly. Many, none of you. It is so fun to leave a big tip. I remember, you know, I used to go to breakfast with Juan uh, more often than we do now for our Connect time weekly, and we we're going to the same restaurant each time, so we had a chance to. Be with the same waitress or that, and, and, and one of the times, I don't know, it just came up. You know, we asked you, we, we're going to pray for you. Something we can pray for you about, vulnerably, and I think just very genuinely um, shared some challenge, financial challenges, with their children, a need or something like that. So I said, well, we'll, we'll pray for them, and then we left her, you know, thirty bucks or something like that. The meal was ten, you know, and uh, I I don't I don't know what her response was, but. I would hope that there was a connection there uh, with that kind of generosity. But, hey, you know, a 15% or a 20% tip is normal, should be normal. Um, I think we need to go above and beyond that if we're going to be generous. All right, spent too long on that. Okay, in describing and talking about these kinds of investment, doing good, being rich in good works, generous to those needs, Paul says, "You will create a treasure account in heaven for the future that will enable us to experience true life, and I would advocate just a hypothesis that he 's not necessarily and this is a new one for you all you might as you look at the passages about treasure i 'm going to advocate that that treasure account is not just for after we die, which is I think what most that 's what i 've always thought invest in You know, best in your future. Isn't that a slogan for somebody? (laughs) Um, And we think of treasure in heaven when we read all those accounts from Jesus and that. We think of that as being for the future, for, you know, the good life once we get in heaven. And I'm confident that I'm missing lots when it comes to that. There'd be a lot of work that could still be done on this. But I would advocate that we could at least consider the potential that that investment is an account from which we can withdraw during this life. And we're going to get there over the weeks. But So what is treasure? You, let me ask you. What is treasure? What in our world is treasure? Expensive, extravagant, hidden. Hidden treasure? A big, big thing—a lottery ticket, something that comes unexpected. Excess. One more time. It's unaccessed wealth. It's stored. It's stored wealth. Accumulated stored wealth. David. Okay. Yes. Beyond beyond the conceptual of wealth, money, lands, things, jewelry, gold, heirlooms, there is treasure that is people. Treasure that is. Yes, absolutely. Treasure in the eye of the beholder. Yes, there is beyond. But but at an at an economic level, for now we're in that realm. There's there's these parallels. I remember I I said relative to the talents and the sower. Uh, all of those passages have um, multifaceted meanings. But they're also, they are describing and talking about economics. So I would define treasure as storage of accumulated wealth. And when we think about treasure, the pictures that pop into our minds are treasure chests, treasure islands, pirates, dragons, and greed. Right? Hidden Remember I said that the world's economic system is based around buying and selling? But I also said that at its extreme, as Kathy's group identified, it's about taking, clutching, and hoarding. That's the heart of the mammon spirit and where it wants to take us. And if if our treasure is in our riches, that which is making money for us, and the rug gets pulled out from underneath that, then we can come crashing down. God's economy also speaks of treasure, but it's a different kind of treasure than accumulated wealth. Instead, based on this passage that we were looking at a moment ago, it is an accumulation of good deeds that are stored up in heaven for future withdrawal, I would advocate. Let's look at what Jesus says about treasure on earth and treasure in heaven. Matthew six nineteen. Do not gather and heap up and store up for yourselves treasures on earth for moth and rust and worm consume and destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but gather and heap up and store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor worm consume and destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasures on earth are referring here, I believe, to forms of wealth and riches. It can be an accumulation of lands, houses, stuff. It can be cars, planes, boats, watches, clothes, jewelry. It can be investments, mutual funds, stock, security, savings accounts. Treasures on earth are things that we prize. They can be a family heirloom. Uh, they can be the crystal top from your wedding cake that breaks in an earthquake and and you and you lose your treasure often they are things when we think of treasure they often they are things that we look to for future security to put our trust in it's hidden away it's it's un um, what was the word you used, Joseph? Unaccessed, sitting there. We're, we're, hot dog, I've got all this resource. I can never be in trouble because I've got all this treasure. It is often something that we trust in to be able to be accessed if we needed it. But Jesus says that treasures on earth are vulnerable. They're susceptible to decline, loss, and pillaging. In the book called Wealth, Riches, and Money that Claire and I are using as a resource, the author said this uh, in a passage. They wrote the book in 2001, and I was startled to read this passage. It sounded so much like this past fall. They say this about this passage. The moth may be picturing inflation, a decline in the value of existing money as a result of having too much of it in circulation. The rust may be picturing deflation and increase in the value of existing money due to having too little money in circulation. This results in an economic slowdown or even brings commerce to a halt. The worm may be picturing international devaluation, which affects many people in countries that have currency-tied U.S. dollars or other foreign currencies. Was this not all a part of what was (laughs) happening in the fall? Thieves may be referring to fraud, fraud, collapses of financial institutions such as the savings and loans in the United States in the nineteen eighties or you know the nineteen two thousand and eight, bank failures, financial market collapses, or fraudulent investment schemes. Who's the guy who who Yeah. I mean, how many years did he run that racket? Well, not forever. He's not been alive forever. A whole lot of years, and all these people, big names people, lots of people with good, real money, gone. Fraudulent investment. Okay, now, I'm going to say, though, I want to say again, that it is not wrong to have investments in the world system. Having riches working for us, can be wise and prudent, and I would say that God even advocates. But we've got to deal with the issue that we are only a steward of God's resources, not an owner for the purpose of personal gain or advancement. That's why this issue of a closed circle that we're going to talk more about is so crucial. If we have a closed circle, then we have agreed with God about how much is enough. And then wealth, riches, and money won't be a problem. But if we don't have a closed circle, have not answered the question how much is enough, then we're going to be tempted to use the accumulation of riches for our own personal benefit. And potentially to fall under the control of the spirit of mammon. Our investments can, in that situation, become our treasure in which we trust. And when it collapses or is robbed, we can be devastated rather than being secure in God as our source. I want to conclude by looking again at the story we looked at last week from Mark 10. I've just got just a couple of minutes. Uh, a wealthy man had come to Jesus asking how he could inherit eternal life. And verses 21 and 22 um, of Mark says, Looking intently at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you own and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And the man's face fell, and he went away very sad, for he owned much property. Well, Jesus, through prophetic revelation, discernment from God, knew that this man's treasure was in his wealth and that he was ensnared by the mammon spirit. Jesus truly and genuine and deeply loved him and desired him to be free. So Jesus gave him a prescription for his illness that would allow him to be free to love God and follow Jesus. And that prescription was that he was to convert his possessions and wealth into money and then give that away to needy people. In that act, the man would be profaning, defiling the mammon spirit, using money to give instead of for buying and selling. He would also in that act take away the power and the ability of those things to be worshipped. They aren't here anymore. He doesn't have them. He can't trust in them anymore. At that point, then, he has the opportunity to lift up his eyes and trust God. So those of you who have nothing, as a couple of you in this room practically, that's a good place to be. It can be a whole lot better than riches. might not look like it from your side of the coin. Jesus knew, absolutely not, Jesus knew that trust in the world economic system would keep this man in slavery to the mammon spirit and not be able to experience true life. The only way that could be broken in his life was literally to convert it into money, to defile the spirit of mammon, and to get rid of it so he doesn't have it. as a temptation to trust him. Not only would Jesus' prescription set this man free, it would, though, Jesus says, make a deposit into a heavenly account. Sell all you own and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now there's a couple of very cool things about treasure in heaven account. Firstly, as Jesus identified, it's not susceptible to the same problems that banks and treasures on earth are susceptible to you know the moth, worm, rust, thievery thing it is the only truly safe investment secondly the interest rate on an account a treasure in heaven account is incredible a couple of years ago Claire and I and Priscilla and Mercy all opened uh, free checking accounts at Capital One when they came to town and at the time they were offering a 5% interest rate on check, on the checking accounts. So every month, um, or quarterly, I guess, you know, we'd get the uh, the little notice of the $5 or the $10 or the $15 or whatever. And uh, we thought, wow, this is great. The girls are so excited about getting that uh, those interest earned. You know, I think they're paying, you know, 1% now or nothing. I don't know what they're doing. But anyway, I think Mercy told me she got 10 cents last time on a quarterly statement. Anyway, anyway. Um, so, here I want to give you a little lesson in financial interest. Uh, I had a um, an economics class in my master's program um, last uh, some time ago. I don't know some time ago. Anyway, I learned some things. So I'm gonna pass those on to you. Uh, I want to do simple interest real fast. and I'm gonna be done. Simple interest. Let's say you take a thousand dollars, nice round even number, five percent interest, two years. At the end of two years, you're gonna have. Eleven hundred dollars, simple interest. Two years. One year it would be a thousand fifty. Two years, it's eleven hundred. Compounding interest, which I remember was advocated back in the day, you know, savings and loans was wow. Let's do compounding interest, right? It's just incredible. So the same thousand dollars, same five percent, same two years, uh, compounded annually. Uh, at the end of the first year, you would still only have a thousand fifty, but at the end of year two you'd have an extra $2.50. You'd have $1,100 and $1,102.50. That's compounded. Woo-hoo! Now, if you were investing 100000 you know, it would make, but comparatively, it still doesn't. So compounding is not the world's end-all for uh, investments. Okay, now let's look at a treasure in heaven account. Luke 19. It's a very long passage. Can't, I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to summarize the bulk of it. Uh, and then uh, a couple of statements directly from it. Jesus tells a story. Most scholars would say that it's a parable about him and his relationship to the Jewish people. Uh, There's a spiritual, but there's also lessons here for God's economy. Uh, A nobleman was called away to a distant empire. He was going to be crowned king and then come back. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants, and he gave them each ten pounds of silver, talent and told them to invest for him. This one might be the minute, sorry. That's the minute. He um, said, take this money, I want you to invest it while I'm gone. After the man is crowned king, he comes back, and he's looking for an accounting of the money he had given his servants. Money, we're, about, we're not talking about wealth, we're talking about extra money, now riches, putting it to work. The first reported that he had made ten times the original amount. Wow, the king said, awesome servant, you have been faithful with little that I entrusted to you, I'm going to make you a governor of ten cities. I like that kind of multiplication. The second reported that they had made five times the original amount. Again, the king exclaimed, hot dog, good job, I'm going to make you a governor of five cities. Now, let's put some of that in math terms. Let's say that the original amount given each servant was $1,000. Not, but let's just say. The first made ten times the original amount. So he would give back to the master $11,000. He made ten more plus the one original. He uh, he gives him $11,000. You know what the interest rate is? 100% 100% interest. It's a thousand percent interest. We're happy with five. This guy, as a result of God's economic systems, created, used, present, uh, developed a thousand percent interest rate. You check my math if it's wrong. I'll correct it next week in public. But I think it's right. Okay. Then the second person five times the original amount. They had been given 1000 They returned 6000 That's 500% interest. Okay, that's the kind of return I believe that we can expect when we operate in God's economic system. It's what he expects and what we can expect. But again, what was the reward? He, the people... You know, in, in the next one we're going to look at, they got given the money back to invest it again. But in this one, they were given governorship of cities. That, that is not equal proportion. You've been faithful in this little use of money, and I am going to make you this significant ruler. Now, I've advocated in the past, totally not in the Bible, that heaven isn't going to be us sitting around in clouds doing harps, but is Overseeing worlds. Just a wild and crazy thought. Okay. All right. Another example biblical investment returns in the story of the sower. Mark 4, we referred to it earlier. One of the soils was the thorny soil. There was also a good soil. And it produced and bore fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. So let's put that into math. Okay. 30 fold of 1,000 is. 30,000 60 fold of 1000 is and 100 fold of 1000 is 100,000. I didn't even calculate the percentage rates on those. They're huge. I mean, we 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 can't fathom. It's just like we can't fathom that, you know, the government gave away 750 billion dollars, you know, to help out a couple of country uh, companies. Okay, so while five percent would be an awesome interest rate today in our current economy wouldn't you rather earn five hundred or a thousand percent interest in a treasure in heaven account now i i I recognize that i'm we're, i'm on a journey i don't i I'm, I'm not all the way there yet of how this has all worked itself out in in money and the system and god's economy and spiritual things over against the actual money and equity. But there is something huge here for us to learn. And I pray that you will spend time with God in his word, that you guys will be like the Bereans described in Acts. You will go to the word of God and see if these things are so. Don't depend on me and don't just write me off. Let's let's see if we can can lay hold of some understandings about God's economy that might make 2 Corinthians come true, be true instead of this nice dream. God's economy is nothing like the world's economy. God's economy is based on abundance. Cattle on a thousand hills. The world's economy is based on lack. I've got a little bit more than you, and so I'm a little ahead, and I can invest that little ahead, and so I can get a little bit further ahead. But it's all based on lack. Remember the Garden of Eden? God spread His arms and He said to Adam and Eve, all of this is yours. Look around. 360 degree view. All of this is yours. Abundance. But of this one thing, this tile? don't touch this. Just this one. But all this all this is yours. That's God's economy. What does Satan say? Why is God withholding that one little thing from you? You can have that one little fruit. Focus on this one little thing you don't have. Forget all of this. That's going to be mine. You can have this. And be in bondage to me for the rest of your life. Ball and chains. It is still true today. God says, Bring me the tithe, and I will give you all this. Satan says, Tithe? You've got to be kidding. You can't afford to tithe. Lack. Abundance. God wants to bless us with hundredfold blessings our responsibility is to love him above everything else and to walk according to his ways but if we're going to walk according to his ways we got to know what they are that's what we're working on that's right. so sorry that I've wasted so many years not looking deeper into this. And I'm sorry for the ways that I have not stewarded what was yours. I'm sorry that we as a church have not stewarded in these ways the resources and finances of this church. I'm sorry that we have more understood the economics of the world than we have your economics. And I want it to be different. I want my friends and I free to be these kind of people with surplus for your purposes. But Many of us, day after day, are caught in situations where we are being influenced and controlled by a mammon spirit. We have got to learn to recognize that, to renounce it, and to implement, as Jesus taught us to in that passage with the Roman soldiers, how do we violate and break the spirit of the world in their economic systems? and walk according to rules. We need help, God. I need help. We, this, this is not intuitive. <laughs> we are just too trained in the world's economy. We are too influenced on the TV and the ads and the work and the bonuses and commission checks and on and on and on and on goes the world's economy. So I just thank you that you're at work. Come and help us. Might you be glorified? Might we be a people who are not under the control of a man and spirit, but are living under your kingdom realm? In Jesus. Name. I think I went late. I don't have a watch. I'm sorry. Um. I would hope that things are stirring inside of you. They are in me. Um, if you would like to come up and just talk with somebody for a minute or get some prayer, if something's stood out to you, something caught your attention uh, here today, a challenge that you're facing, an issue that you may have, just maybe on a weekly basis to come and get prayer for this thing to be broken over you, to live in God's economy, come on up. It's here. It's a, it's a gift. It's free. You have to receive it, but we'd like to give it. So come on up. We would love an opportunity to pray with you uh, and for you. And uh, truly, I pray that you will uh, study to see if these things are so. Uh, we would love, would love the input uh, from any of you that you're what you're learning. Thanks. Have a great week.
1: I just want to say something. There's different people in our church that have a grasp on different parts of these teaching series. And um, I've seen it by talking to you and how you live your lives and stuff, and I'm just, like, baffled, like, wow. And, you know, this last weekend, Rain and I went off to do – was it last weekend, Ray? It was last. Last weekend we went to do uh, Closing the Circle. And that was a great, great um, time together. But I just want to know that I see strength in, um, like, Steve and Melissa. There's something that God has taught them about um, having an account that's for God to use the way he wants. And that's a real strength in them. They're, they're, you guys are being shook by the teaching. Are you being stirred? So, obviously, just like when I said this is really uncomfortable, there's things obviously still working in you. But I just see that. Um, the Danilies, uh liberally give. When they've been out of work, they've opened the, their home and have two people living in their home. And are, are you guys feeling any uncomfort at all with the teaching? Or are you feeling so far so good? Okay. So they may be further along and maybe further along as Randy teaches, they'll see some other things that go, okay. And there's others of you that give very generously. There's some of you that have no money. And so you're being and have been experiencing God has to be my source. And I've seen the church kind of be my source a little bit through God, but you know, it's and so like you're somewhere else. Okay? And you're somebody we could talk to. And I don't want to necessarily identify who those people are because you might be embarrassed, okay? But I'm just saying that we're all somewhere in this journey. And there's some of us that got it together in some sections, and we need to be teachable. Okay, if you're feeling uncomfortable anywhere in this series, I just feel like the Lord's saying, that is me. I am steering that up in you because I want you so much to be free. I want you to be the Second Corinthians kind of people that can give generously and freely to one another and to the world. Yeah. I think it's, it's not just being uncomfortable with the teaching, that's one way, but I think part of what's being stirred up too is some of us might be getting more irritated by different things or people or situations that we might normally be because the enemy's also stirring things up. So while I'm not uncomfortable with the teaching, even this morning God showed me an area where I've been holding back. I can be real generous with lots of stuff, but this one little thing, you know. And so in my case it's been, okay, that was the discomfort and I had to realize, wait a minute, I'm overreacting. This is a little worm in my life. It's a little sign of the spirit of mammon still I don't care how free I am in other areas, it still has a a little handle here, and so I've had to let go of that. It's like some of you have no problem with tithing. That is not an issue. If you do have a problem with tithing, then you're clutching on to that piece that God said don't touch." So we're all in a different place, and it's okay. We're all journeying together. Um, if If you just want God to have access to where that spirit of mammon is in your life, would you stand? I'm standing right now because I want God to have access in my life completely. I do not want the mammon spirit to activate and stir me to do his bidding anymore. So, Holy Spirit, we we are not perfect. We know that. You obviously know that. And we, Father, are in a journey where you, Holy Spirit, are saying, I want to free you from that spirit of mammon. So Holy Spirit, we invite you corporately, Lord. We invite you and tell you, you have go at it, Lord. Kill, destroy this spirit that uh, hovers over us, Lord, and causes us to be people who clutch, who only function in the buying and the selling, and have forgotten, Lord. I never knew, Father, how to give and how to receive. So in the name of Jesus, I take authority over the spirit of mammon over this church. Over each individual guest or member's father, I take a, a command that spirit of Mammon to be broken off of you in Jesus' name and broken off of us and broken off of me in Jesus' name, and we release our spirit to be filled with the kingdom, rule, and reign of God, that God you would have the rulership, the reigns of everything about our lives. Father, we will not bow down to any idol. Nothing will be a treasure to us, Lord, but you and your kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. So, Lord, we seek first your kingdom, your rule and your reign in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you need more prayer about anything, just come on forward. There will be folks um, to pray for you. And those people who I pointed out particularly, would you come forward? Um, just so you can help something that might be stuck in those areas. Thank you.